The text for the sermon is taken from the uh, epistle. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today marks a new year in our church calendar, and you will notice after a long, what to me seemed a very long Trinity season, a different emphasis is now present. Advent, which simply means the coming, is the season in our liturgical calendar which celebrates the coming of our Lord. The season first helps us prepare by prayer and meditation to more devoutly welcome the day of Christ's nativity. This marks the coming of our Lord in the flesh to suffer for us. The season also, though, looks forward to the second coming of our Lord when he will come to judge the quick and the dead. This is why the season of Advent has always been a season of solemn supplication. We are preparing our souls for the coming of our Lord and asking the Lord to help us die to ourselves that we might live in him. But that phrase, to prepare one's soul, it's kind of a funny phrase. It might be easier than to think first in terms of our own bodies. We prepare our bodies for an athletic feat, such as a race, by training. We abstain from certain foods. We eat others. We set a calendar of training. Each day we check off another exercise. We rest well, and over time, with consistency, our bodies are conditioned. They're prepared for the event itself. Preparing one's soul has a similar process. And because our souls are united to our bodies, what we do with our bodies still matters. Part of that analogy still holds perfectly true. On certain days and in certain seasons, we fast. We abstain from certain foods or we eat smaller meals. During other seasons or on particular days, we feast and we enjoy the great gifts that we have cooked. Internally, we prepare by rejecting those actions we know draw us away from God and then seeking to live in the new ways. We enjoy times of quiet and reflection in order to heighten our attention to God's presence in our lives. We commit ourselves to prayer so that we lift our minds to God's reality. So all of these practices that we do, they're kind of like workouts. And slowly, through time, they discipline ourselves. They grow our lives towards a deeper knowledge of love of God. That's what we mean by preparation to prepare one's soul. And so today is the start of the new year, and we start another liturgical cycle. It's time to examine our lives, to set out resolutions, commit to a new regime. But as you'll see, the start of the new year in the church, it's not like the secular new year. We don't push out the old and bring in the new. Unless, well, 
That is, unless we're talking about sin. But you should always push out sin, right? You don't make a New Year's resolution or like, for Lent, I'm going to stop sinning. You should always stop sinning. And so we don't, though, in our resolutions, seek this whole, you know, out with the old, bring in the new. Rather, we start the new year and we know exactly what's going to happen, don't we? We know what readings are coming next week. We know what we're saying in our prayers for every single day of this whole year. We will start with the same resolutions, in fact. And we'll live out another year of more of the same. Exactly the same. That is our promise in the church year. But this more of the same, that's actually what helps us to dig deeper, live rooted lives of true dedication rather than just pursuing another fleeting goal of self-transformation. How often has that worked? We live in the freedom of more of the same because it's through such repetition that we can pay attention to what is true and real and beautiful. Our resolutions for this year, well, they're the same as last year. They follow the collect for today, which distills St. Paul's epistle. Give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life, in which thy son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility. There's your resolution. To cast away the works of darkness and to put upon yourself the armor of light. But this is for a purpose. It's for an end, a specific goal. And the colic tells us exactly what that is. So that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to life immortal. So we pursue the light, the life of love, in order to obtain the gift of immortal life that God has so graciously given to us. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. A new day is coming. The new dawn has arrived. In the classical sense of time, the first age of man, which existed all the way from the Garden of Eden all the way to the birth of Jesus, that was an age of darkness. Now, of course, God worked in that darkness with shining flames of light, like the gift of the law and the worship of God at the tabernacle or in the temple. And that was done through a specific people, his people, through Israel. And he did that to draw humanity back into union with him. But the people refused to follow such ordinances. And so in that darkness, something else was promised. Something greater than these flames. A new day was promised. A Messiah was coming to restore humanity. And we read of that promise throughout the whole Old Testament. In fact, it's given to us right after the fall of Adam and Eve. But it is 
in precision that we can see it all the way at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, where in chapter 4, God promises his people, Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him for all Israel, with the statutes and the judgments. And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful coming day of the Lord. Of course, we know that that prophet was John the Baptist, who called the people to repent, to prepare for the Messiah. And when Jesus came, John the Baptist pointed out the Messiah, and his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, left him, and they went to Jesus. The age of darkness had ended, and now a new dawn had arrived. St. Paul in his epistle then takes on the same exact theme, as if he is recapitulating himself as John the Baptist. And so he urges his fellow Christians to follow the law, just like the prophet Malachi, now summed up, fulfilled by a life of charity. And he reminds the church that the day of the Lord is at hand. There's an urgency for the coming of Christ in Bethlehem also calls to mind the coming of Christ to us at our own end. We are to prepare now for the Lord has come and we know that then he will come to us personally, either at our death or if the final judgment comes before our death. So we must prepare, get ready, and to be intent. Let me give you a metaphor of what this sort of preparation, intention looks like. It's a metaphor of two temple visits. Jesus first visits the temple when he is brought by his parents as a baby for the rites of purification. And when he comes into the temple, there's an old man whose name is Simeon waiting for him. Simeon has spent his whole life in expectation for the coming Christ. And now that his Messiah has come, Simeon is ready to die in peace. He says, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Simeon, he knew the face of Jesus. And in that face, he found peace and was able to die. The second temple visit, comes from the gospel that was appointed today. As Jesus enters Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, the people proclaim that Jesus is the prophet of Nazareth. It's a triumphant entry, but the people don't know Jesus' true purpose. In fact, they all see him as a political savior, and they must have been very surprised at what Jesus did next. He enters the temple, and then he goes and rids it of all the money changers and salesmen. So unlike Simeon, the people are not prepared for the true person of Jesus. When Jesus enters the temple this time, he has to cast out thieves. And prayer, which is supposed to be happening in the temple, which is communion with God, has ceased. 
The likes of Simeon are gone, and now the temple has been defiled. I offer that we should read these two visits as parables of our own life, which, given Paul's insight that the body is the temple of the Lord, is a good reading. So we're faced with two different responses to the advent of Jesus' approach to us. We can be like Simeon, who prepares his life through prayer and waiting, so that when Jesus comes to him, he actually recognizes Jesus, and he may die peacefully. Or we can be fooled, fooled by the promises of the world, like the masses of people who can name Jesus, just like the demons can. But they don't recognize his true mission, and they can't offer up true worship. So then our own temple is filled with thieves and liars, and we're no longer in communion with God. Jesus Christ is coming. That is a fact that the church has declared. We must awake our souls and prepare. Some of you might think, well, that's just too hard. It's too tough to achieve, especially over a life. But please remember that our Lord's yoke is easy. It's his burden that is light. Why not give yourself over to the only one in which you will ever find true rest? Why take on envy? Why put on jealousy? Why put on hatred and anger when you can put on Jesus? You see, God has full charge. He has full demand over you anyways. But service to him is not burdensome. It's actually in his service that we find fulfillment of all our desires, which is true freedom. One commentator wrote, Jesus is our king. His claims over us are unlimited and unconditional. He claims every aspect of our being and activity in every place and at every moment from the hour of our birth to the utmost reaches of eternity. And in all of this, he seems not to be making demands on, on us, but to be satisfying our deepest desires. For he has fashioned us so that only in this complete and unconditional surrender to him can our own happiness be found. Therefore, prepare your life in the knowledge of your coming death and in that preparation, you will find true hope, true peace, and true happiness. In fact, you will find God himself ready to welcome you into his kingdom. Let me conclude the first verse of the opening hymn. Come thou, long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.